Well, good morning. Um, my name is Jill. If we haven't met yet, I am the children's director here at the Grove. And I hope you'll come to the best family night. It's so much fun. And like, I just had a blast. And my kids have been checking in every day. Like, when is the next one? So if you didn't join us last time, I hope you'll join us this time. If you did join us last time, I hope you'll come again. Um, you can actually see me out at the check-in station to pre-register if you'd like to get in faster on Thursday night. All right. Well, I am excited to be here with you guys today. Do you feel like you got your exercise, walking your kids out a little further? Um, I mean, you get some more steps that way. Uh, so back in college, I went to a Christian college, and either it was my freshman or my sophomore year of college, an intro to speech, uh, we had our first speech was kind of our testimony, and I hated speaking in front of people. Um, so like this right here right now is like God works miracles in people um, because I stood there just like, <sighs> and my voice was shaking, and you had to give the t professor a VHS videotape so that way he could video you and you could watch back later and you had to critique yourself and it was terrible. I mean, now they don't have, they don't even know what a VHS cassette is. But my first speech had to be my testimony. And our professor told us to think of a word that would describe our relationship with God. And so I got up there and in my very shaky self, I talked about how God was my comforter. Um, and I described how I loved my bed and how I loved this thick down comforter I had, and I loved being cozy in it. I loved the warmth. I loved that it felt like this shield from the cold outside world. And over and over again, God had done the same thing for me and my relationship with him to be this comforter. Uh, so there I was at 18 years old, and I was able to look at my faith and my walk with God, and I knew that my most significant growing moments had all been around some really difficult times. And they all had to deal with some deep pain and a sense of betrayal, which at 18, you know, you're like, how much life have you lived? But I had some really significant moments where when I was 14, um, God became very real to me. It was the first time I would say that he became my God as opposed to the God I had been raised to follow. Um, at that time, my dad was an elder, and our elder board had to let go of our senior pastor for some really grown-up reasons. And I was there going, yeah, his family is our best, like, best family friend. And my dad is such good friends with him. And there he is as the elder leading the Sunday night service saying, if you need prayer, come forward and pray with us. And I vividly remember standing there thinking, he's the one who needs comfort. My dad needs the comfort, not all these other people. Like, this is his best friend that he's just had this broken relationship with. And right then, God spoke to my heart. Like, I knew it in that moment. This was God speaking. And he said, I will comfort him. And it was kind of one of those moments where all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, God, you are real. And I knew, like, it wasn't like an audible voice, but it was so obviously him. And, you know, then I got baptized like two weeks later because I'm like, this is real. This is my faith. And it was so powerful to know that God could comfort my dad. God could comfort me. And he saw us through. And then when I was excuse me, 17, my younger brother told me he didn't believe in God anymore. Um, he and I were really close for two years and two weeks apart, and we always were best friends. Like, we played Barbies together until I hit fourth grade and was like, boys don't play Barbies. And poor kid, I think I ruined his life at that time. Um, but he was my really close brother, and here he is saying, I don't believe in God anymore. And at that time, I was reading the Left Behind books, um, which if you, like 
read literature in the 90s, you read those books if you're a Christian. They're all about like, what if the rapture happened and Jesus took all the Christians up to heaven and this is the world we're left with. And so I am there going, my brother's going to be left behind. And I was so panicked because I'm like, Jesus could come back at any time. And he has said he doesn't believe in Jesus. And there was this panic in me. And I just desperately needed to talk to somebody. But my parents were out of town. My older brother was away at college and with his girlfriend and not answering his phone. And I was so alone in that moment. So God became my comforter. And then later that school year, uh, my youth pastor who I had been really close with. Um, I babysat for his kids. Um, his wife was kind of mentoring me. Like, we were close. I volunteered. I was at every event, everything. Like, I felt like he knew me. And then this girl that didn't really go to the group, didn't really know him, told a story that put me in a bad light. And he never came and asked for my version of the story. And it just felt like betrayal. And so at that point, I got to really just turn to God and see that God could comfort me, not all these people that I had grown accustomed to being my comforters. Um, it's hard when you feel like you're alone, and it's hard when you feel like you're isolated and that there aren't people who can carry your pain with you. But over and over again, at that point, at 18 years old, I could look back at those significant moments and say, God is my comforter. Um, I wish I could say that since then, all my relationships have been easier. Um, Unfortunately, they haven't because adulthood, right? Um, And so I've had plenty of other times where there's like so much maturing that has to happen through a painful situation. Um, There have been times where I feel betrayed. There's times when I feel isolated, lonely. Um, But I've found that over and over again, despite like the fact that Um, being with Christians and embracing this culture of sharing life together and being vulnerable and opening up and that potential hurt, I found that over and over again through that, God's people are still so worth it. And they're so worth going through um, the hardship, the honesty, that reality of it, because no matter what, God's going to be with you right there through it. Um, So I've learned that when I'm facing these hard times, I kind of have two paths I can follow. I can choose to either draw closer to God through it, I can choose to let him teach me, or I can choose to let that opportunity make me question his character. And ultimately, like how we choose, like which path, which route we take, really can reveal our view of God. Um, So we've been looking at Psalms this summer, and today we're going to look at Psalm 55. Um, It's a chapter written by David. Um, our kind of our theme is just looking at these honest conversations and my what I love about this chapter is David gets really honest in this chapter Um, he's experienced the betrayal of a close friend and that's what led him to write this chapter so we're gonna bounce through it Um, you like my tabs I was like why would we just go through a chapter let's bounce all around so we're gonna start with verses 12 through 14 And so this is where David's explaining what's going on. He says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. David had faced lots of enemies in his life. I mean, like, there were years that he was running from Saul who was trying to kill him. Um, He'd faced enemies from the surrounding territories and the countries. I mean, there were battles in his story. Um, He had faced people who had different opinions of how the country should be run and what should happen. But this time, his enemy is a friend. Um, We don't know much more about it besides the fact that this is a peer. um, It's a close friend. It's someone he worshipped with. Um, This is someone who was at his level. 
And what he's saying is the closeness of this relationship and it breaking was worse than facing any enemy. Um, I love his honesty in this chapter because he's responding to the pain he's feeling. Um, it's so tempting when we're hurting to put on a brave face. Uh, like if you've had those conversations with someone where you're like, how are you? I'm fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. 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 We're fine. You know, or like my husband now knows if I tell him I'm fine, he's like, what's really wrong? Um, but we put on this like, I'm strong. I'm good. I can handle it. Or maybe you can say, oh, you know, maybe we just had a difference of opinion. Like they went their way. I went my way. And we'll say like, maybe God was leading them a different way than me. And there's all these excuses we give rather than just saying, this sucks. Like there is so much pain here. Um, like inside, we are screaming and we are angry and we're hurting, but outside, we're like, I'm good. It's good. And you're wondering, why can't people see how broken I am when we're really just putting on this good face all the time? So David is showing some really awesome vulnerability in this chapter. Um, he goes on, and in verse 15, you know, he's saying, I'm not fine. He says, let death take my enemies by surprise. <laughs> okay. Um, let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. David is being honest with God. He's like, take them down, God. I want the worst for them. This is terrible. And then in verses 20 to 21, he goes on to say, my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. He, his talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever want to be like, they're just smooth talking, but it's swords? I mean, maybe those aren't the words that come to mind. But it's what you want to just scream and you want to say, like, this is what's really going on. And David does that, which I appreciate. Uh, my deepest hurts come from those people who care the most. And so often I'm watching it and I'm like, why aren't you living out the values you see in the Bible? Or why is sin creeping in right now or knocking down the door? Or why are we having differing opinions that hurt our relationship? Like there's those, like those conflicts that really, really, really just hurt. It's difficult. It's ugly. It hurts and it causes so much grief. I've had those hurts over and over again in my life. But so many times they have to be kept private because a lot of times the stories aren't all mine to tell or I know, like, I don't want to become that person. Like, I don't want to join in the gossip or I don't want to join in the nastiness. And so it's like I have to hold it inside. Um, like, sometimes my husband can carry it with me. Other times my mom has been able to carry it with me or I have some select friends who I can trust. Um, other times I can share a piece of my story on social media or with, you know, the people that are in my world. But so often there's so much more going on inside than what actually gets to be expressed to the world. And so that's where I love that David's able to show, look, I can go and be honest and like just gut-wrenchingly real and tell all of it to God because God doesn't need these holy words. He doesn't need these articulate words. He just needs that honesty. Um, when we look at verses one through three, um, I love this because David is like, God, listen to me. He says, um, see, my tabs are getting in the way. Listen to my prayer, O oh God. Do not ignore my plea. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they are bringing down suffering on me, and they assail me in their anger. And then again in verse 17, we see him say more honesty to God. He says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Um, I've been using 
a CSB Bible for my quiet times, and I love the way the CSB actually says this because it says, got to find it in my notes, sorry. It says, listen to my prayer, oh God, do not ignore me. Sorry, just kidding. Um, this is the problem when I start talking and I ignore my notes. So let's get it. All right, so in my CSB Bible, just kidding. We're not going to go there. It said it really cool. It was like over and over again. I'm like, God, listen to me. And that's what David's doing here. He has, um, like, we have our regular conversations with God, our daily talk with him that keeps going, and we have that ongoing conversation. And then he also has these just repetitious prayers to God where he's like, morning, noon, and night, I am saying, God, listen to me. Keep listening to me. And so that's what he's doing right here. Um, when you feel like you're alone in your pain, when you feel like your grief is crushing, when isolation is depressing, God's right there. He's right there. He's ready, and he's waiting, and he's listening. Um, he's letting you have that raw, unfiltered conversation with him. Vulnerability is the only way to have these genuine relationships, um, and that's really what makes the difference with God. When we pour out our hearts to him, when we say, I'm going to let you see all of me, I'm going to be honest with this and real with this, and I'm going to invite you into it, that's a vulnerable relationship with God. And when we do that, he's going to hold those prayers and those thoughts and that conversation with him, he's going to hold it so tenderly because God comes to us with grace and not with judgment. He cares. He knows exactly where we are, and he wants us to come to us. Um, he's standing there holding that down comforter, saying, come here, let me just wrap it around you. I mean, I know on a day like this, a down comforter is not an appealing thought. Maybe he's holding an air conditioning blanket, um, and he's like, I'm just going to wrap it around you, and I'm going to hold you so tight. So when we want to escape, when we want to get away because things are breaking when things are breaking with your people, it is hard. When grief is real and it's right in front of you, you just want to escape. And I love that David wanted to do that in this passage as well. When we look at verses 4 through 8, he says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Hor that, sorry. Am I doing the right one? Yes. Okay, he said, oh, that I have the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest of the storm. Perhaps our modern trans translation for that could be, my heart is hurting. I am overwhelmed. I want to escape. Give me an Xbox, a Roku, a book, or a road trip, maybe even a trip to Hawaii. Get me out of here. When you're hurting, escape can be really good. Like, I love a good binge watch on Netflix. In fact, we're running into the problem that we've now binge watched, like, everything on Netflix, and we're out of shows to watch. So hopefully I don't have grief come up, because I have nothing to satisfy me. I mean, we've even gone through Amazon. Um, but it's, it can feel so good to just get away and to escape. But then there's going to come that point where we have to face the reality of it, and we need to say, like, God, I really need you right now. And that's when we come back to those verses again about evening, morn, morning, and noon. Um, here's my CSB version. He says, I complain and groan. Like, that is what his relationship with God is like with it. Like, okay, I want to escape. I know I can't completely escape life. So right now, I just want to complain and groan to you. And the beauty of it then is God hears those complaints. Verse 18 tells us, He rescues me unharmed from the battle, and the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. I love that. Like, 
we might feel like we get harmed in like the world of public opinion or relationships and all of that, but nothing here, nothing that happens in our relationships can harm God's view of us. We may be harmed socially, our hearts can hurt, but no pain can take away how much God loves you. And then verse 19, David starts to focus on more about who God is in all of this. Um, he says, um, <coughs> excuse me. He says, he rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though others oppose me. Um, and then he goes on in 19 and says, God who is enthroned from old, who does not change. He will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. But he's saying God does not change. The same God then when my life was good is the same God who's going to get me through all of this. God doesn't change. He hears us. And then we also see in verse 22 that when we cast our cares on the Lord, he's going to sustain us. It doesn't mean he's just going to take all our pain away and he's going to make everything better. It means he sustains us. He's going to strengthen us and hold us and get us through it. Um, he provides for us. He cares for us through it. And then in verse 23, David tells us that above all of this, God is trustworthy because he ends it saying, but as for me, I trust in you. So he's gone through all this grief. He's gone through all this honesty. He's been real with God. He's pointed out the truth of who God is. And he has said, regardless of all of this, I trust in you. Whatever I feel coming from other people, whatever they're choosing to do, I am going to trust in you because through everything, God is so tr trustworthy. But what about when we don't have those words? Like it's easy to look at this and go, oh, David was a poet. He wrote beautiful words. Even his angry words were put together nicely. Like sometimes in my pain, I don't have words. Um, there have been times where I felt really betrayed by somebody and I'm just like laying there thinking, I don't even know what to say. Like, all that is coming out of me is just, ugh. And that is where I love that Romans 8, 26 to 27 tells us, in the same way the Spirit holds us, helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So that's where it's like when all we're giving him is groans, when we don't think we have the words to say it, the Holy Spirit still totally understands it. He's able to understand the hearts in your heart. He knows it's all there, and he really just wants you to come to him because he's like, I'm here. I just want to take care of you. So we've gotten real. We've gotten gut honest. We've gotten unintelligible like we're not making sense but we know that we need God and he's going to be our comforter but what does healing actually look like moving forward um I kept like I was talking with Nolan about this sermon and saying like what else do I need here and he's just like but why like what do we do next like we need something real to go forward with um, because what we see here in Psalm 55 is just a glimpse of David's pain. Like, we get to see that he got honest and he got real and he told God all about it, but he doesn't just stay there. Because you know what I've done? I've read the rest of the Psalms. Like, I've seen that he has other good times. The rest of the book is not full of David's anguish over this one friend. And we've seen his story in his life and how he worships and how he moves forward. So we know that grief is not the place where he stayed. And we also know if we are going to have our best life possible that God has for us, grief can't be where we stay either. Um, we can have our pain and we can have our struggles, but we also need to recognize the goodness of God and the goodness that is there right beside us with all of it. Um, 
I love using the Bible to help me refocus. So I can go, all right, I'm in grief, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, but I do need to look to the goodness of God. And so the more time I spend in my Bible, the more I know about God and who he is and what is real. And I can use his word to actually pray back to him then. To say, like from Isaiah, I can say, God, I know that you will never leave me or forsake me. And because of Isaiah, I know that he isn't going to let things overtake me. Or I can use verses from Romans and I can say, I know you work good, all things for the good of those who love him, love you. And so I know you can work this for good in my faith. Um, I can look at Philippians and say, I know that you will be faithful to complete the work that you have started in me. And because I know his word, I can keep going back to it to say, I know that you are with me in my pain. I know that you know what betrayal feels like because I've looked at the life of Jesus and he had a friend betray him. One of his close 12 betrayed him to his enemies to be hung on the cross. Like, I know because of God's word, I can pinpoint that goodness and I can keep going back to it. And then in order to heal and to move forward, um, to not just stay in that place, we, need, we can't hide from our grief. And the loss of a friendship causes grief. Like, we have to be real about it. Um, there is pain that comes from the realization that someone who was really key in your life is no longer that presence anymore. Um, it can be hard to realize they're going to other people first instead of me. And that's hard. It can be hard to have people leave. It can be hard to have people change. It can be hard to have yourself change and realize you don't fit the same like you used to. And all of those things bring grief. And when we say, I am grieving here, that's when we can say, God, I give you access to my heart because when we give him that access when we open up that honesty and that realness to him he then wants to give us the fullness of him he has so much to give us he gives us all of him like I look at the fruit of the spirit in Galatians that he has what he wants to give us is this love and joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness kindness self-control James 1 through 5 tells us that all we have to do is ask and he wants to give us so much wisdom like God's saying I want to give you this fullness. He fully forgives. He gives insight. Um, my favorite verse in college was Colossians 1.9 um, because in it, Paul is saying that he prays for this Colossian church that God would give them a knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And what I loved about that verse, because we were going through some really hard times with my brother, um, I stopped having to say, like, why is this happening, God? Because honestly, that question doesn't bring answers usually. And instead, I started to say, God, would you just give me a knowledge of your will? Would you give me spiritual wisdom and understanding? Because clearly, God can see a bigger picture than I can see. And I may not be able to put all the pieces together, but I can just ask him, would you give me a knowledge of your will? Give me a different level of perspective on this situation. Doesn't make it easier, but just help me see it differently. And he's so ready and willing to give that. And then... In the midst of all of that, of recognizing our grief and our pain, we also need to know we're in a spiritual battle. Um, James was talking about that spiritual battle back when we did the series on the Holy Spirit. And we need to realize that there are forces at work around us and that we want to come out on the side that is right and good and holy. Like, I want to come out of this battle on God's side. And in order to do that, I need to rise above my circumstances. Like, I need to recognize that I have an enemy, but it's not this friend that I have experienced betrayal from. Like, I have a spiritual enemy. And if I'm going to focus on my Savior, and if I'm going to focus on God, I need to stop viewing that person as my enemy. And, oh, that's not fun. Like, as it feels a lot better sometimes to know this is my enemy. Um, so Romans 12, 18 tells us, if it is possible, 
As far as it depends on you, live at peace for, with everyone. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be responsible for me. And so when that friendship is breaking, though, like, I need to do everything I can possibly do. And maybe that means having an honest conversation. Um, I had a roommate. I was so close with her. We're still close. Um, because we worked through it. Um, where there was one time where I'm like, things are just off here. Like, this relationship has some issues, and I have no idea how to deal with it. And it took going to her and saying, hey, is something going on? And it turns out we were both just completely disconnecting and we were seeing things very differently and we were able to use that conversation to bring us back together. And I mean, it was the type of thing where we realized we live in the same house, but we're not making time for each other. So we started having a weekly roommate date where we went out to lunch and it brought us closer and that was so good for us. But I've had other friendships where I go, hey, is something going on? Is everything okay? And they're just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> You're like, no, it's not. But, it's, but you can't fix it. But at least I know I asked. Is there anything I can do? And sometimes that relationship is so broken you can't even ask that. But I can say, as far as it depends on me, I'm not going to see them as my enemy. Or as far as it depends on me, I'm going to pray for them. As far as it depends on me, I'm going to think good thoughts about them because I know that they are also holy and dearly loved by God. I mean, maybe they're not holy. Maybe they don't know Jesus. But they are totally loved by him. And I'm going to go as far as it depends on me. I'm going to recognize they are made in his image. There's some things, some things I might have made differently, but they are made in his image. And so we have to say, as far as it depends on me, I can have a shifted heart. Um, then this book, Uninvited by Lisa Tierkirst, she has this quote, bitterness, resentment, and anger have no place in a heart as beautiful as yours. God made your heart beautiful. He made you precious. Like your heart is housing a relationship with him, and you are in that relationship, I mean, your soul, and he's made it. And there's no room for that bitterness and that anger and all that hurt to sit there and stay. Fighting that spiritual battle means that as far as it depends on you, you are going to pray for your enemy. And your early prayers may sound like Psalm 23, or verse 23 in Psalm 55, where David told God he wouldn't mind if his enemy went to the pit of destruction. I mean, maybe your early prayers sound like that. You get that honesty out of the way. And then you're going to start shifting it where you're going to pray that God would give you just a knowledge of what he's doing in that person's life, that God would work in them, that God would change them, that if they need to seek him for forgiveness, that they would. Because when we pray for their hearts, for their future, for their hurt, when we pray for all of that, you're reminding yourself of their good qualities, and you're reminding yourself of them being made in his image, and all those things start to shift your perspective. And all of that is obedience to him. Because we fight back for what is good and what is honoring. Not necessarily because that relationship can be mended, but because we need our hearts to be mended. Regardless of how things are going to change on earth, we can remember that Hebrews 13, 6 and 8 say, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. By knowing that he is good, we know that we can trust him. By knowing that his goodness does not change, we know that we can trust him. Um, we know that he is so trustworthy because the Bible tells us that not only is God forgiving, but he is just. 
And that is when our hearts are aching and we are hurting and we might want to see justice here on earth or justice in the relationships. We know that our God is also just. And we know that he might have other things working. And if there's a really bad wrong done against you, God's not ignoring it. He just has a different plan that you may not see happening. And it can be really hard, though, to recognize, too, that in the midst of that, the same forgiveness that he offers to you, he also offers to your betrayer. Like, it's the same forgiveness right there. And so that can help us change our perspective of them. Um, it can be so hard to experience betrayal and know that our betrayer is offered the exact same love that Jesus gives to us. But trust in this situation means giving up our own definition of justice because we believe that just, God is just. So we're not commanded to bring justice. You know, and this is a different justice than like social justice or you know, like the justice that we see for broken laws and our civil laws and all that stuff. This justice is in our relational justice. So because we can trust that God is the one who takes care of it, we know that we are commanded to forgive. So I'm not commanded to go and write that wrong and tell that story and change public opinion and all of that. I am commanded to trust God and forgive. And it's in that hurt when we choose forgiveness and we trust God and we trust that he's working and that his justice is best, that gives us space for him to mend our hearts. Um, and mended hearts don't mean that like all that pain of that betrayal will go away. Um, a couple months ago, I was um, just kind of reliving a painful phase in my life. And um, I found out that Nolan was my hero in a way I hadn't even known at the time. And it was really cool and it made me love my husband more. Um, but it also brought back that hurt of that time when that happened. And I was like, oh, that just hurts. But it didn't stay. Because the truth is, when we have mended hearts, those painful moments become a chapter in our story. They don't become our whole story. Like, we can say, this was hard, but God used it to grow me to this point. Or this was hard, and I'm still suffering the effects of it, but it's not who I am. And so, like, um, I have weird ailments sometimes. And my elbow just suddenly decided to get infected back in June. Um, I woke up thinking I had a spider bite, and instead it was bursitis, which the doctor looked at me and said, that doesn't normally happen in people your age. I was like, well, I know. People don't normally get both their lungs to collapse either, but I like to do fancy things. So I had this infected elbow, and it, it got big and it got nasty, but medicine is wonderful, and that the antibiotics fixed it. And so the swelling went down, the redness went away, but if I were to put weight on my elbow, I'd still feel the pain. And so that's what a mending heart is like. The initial infection and the initial pain might go away. There may not be visible signs of it, but you'll still feel it if you put pressure on it. And then eventually, though, it got to where it only hurt when I put pressure on like a hard surface. So I could rest it on the couch, but I couldn't rest it on the counter. And then gradually now, the other day I realized I could put weight on it on the hard surface and there's no pain left over. And so a mended heart looks like that, where God slowly heals the pieces of your heart, and he slowly brings them to him, and he slowly makes it so that pain isn't so fresh, and there might be memories of it, and there might be remnants of it, but he's been healing it, and he's been taking care of it. When we choose to honor God, when we choose to follow him and what he has called us to, we're leaning on him, and we can lean on him because he doesn't change. Um, life as we know it may totally crumble, and today may look drastically different than yesterday did. And just because things in this world are bad does not mean that God is bad because God is so, so good. 
And just because a relationship may be broken doesn't mean that God is broken from you because he is so, so good. And just because this person feels distant doesn't mean that God is distant because he is right there with you because he is so, so good. A changing group of people does not equal a shifting God because our hope has to be in him. Like over and over again, we turn to his word and we see what it says and we see in our life the evidence of it over and over again because our God is so good and our hope can totally be put in him. So we can be like David in Psalm 55 and we can get real and we can talk about the hurt and we can talk about the brokenness because it happens in this life. But then we also know that our God is good. So we read his word. We get reminded of who he is and what he has to offer us. We talk to him. Our prayers could sound eloquent or they can totally just sound like groanings and he gets it. He's right there for all of it. He is unchanging. He's trustworthy. He is a steady guide. He holds you so tenderly. He's that comforter. He is that warmth that can shield you from the cold, cold room around you in the middle of winter. Um, he's right there, and he wants to mend your heart because he is so, so good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you are faithful. Um, we know that you have begun a good work in us and that you are going to be faithful to complete it, and we thank you for that. Um, we know that you are working all things for the good of those who love you, so we're going to say, this may hurt, but I know that you are going to work it for good in my life. Even if I don't see it here on earth, Lord, I recognize that you are in heaven doing a good, good work. And God, we just come to you and we worship you for your goodness, um, for your perfection, for the forgiveness and the grace that you bring. And we respond to you and we worship you for all that. In your name we pray. Amen.